Hello and welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, number 37. I'm your host, Brian. With me this evening, returning is Eric. Returning from what? I, well, you've, been, you've been missing for weeks. You just disappear and we don't know where you went. I'm here. Okay. It's almost as if you have a life outside of this podcast. <laughs> and of course, that is Ian. This back from the wilderness. That's right. And Kimberly is with us tonight. Hey, everybody. And of course, Mac. Back from my parents' house. Very good. How's everybody doing tonight? Doing all right. Wasn't too hot of a day. Worn out. Yeah. Yeah. Good for a Monday. We'll do that to you. Good. I, I had a I had a an issue with the Royal Crest milkman <laughs> making claims okay. he, making claims he couldn't substantiate. Really? What were the claims he couldn't substantiate? Uh, they were talking about their pasteurization process. And he yeah. made a claim that uh, when you go buy milk in, in the store, that it's pasteurized to 200 degrees and that they're only doing it to 170 so that they are destroying significantly less um, vitamins and enzymes. To which I said, okay, prove it. And to which, you know, he kind of looked at me and he's like, uh, it's like, well, it's on our website. So I went to the <laughs> website. I'm like, okay, because I guess okay. it could be true, higher heat. But so I went, at, well, first I looked at the USDA guidelines for pasteurization. 170 is not even on there, so I'm not even sure how long they're pasteurizing till. Uh, 204 for 0.05 seconds. And so probably they're at 170 degrees. It's probably somewhere around, I'd say, 10 seconds. It's it's kind of a, a, logarith- log, a logarithm scale. So as you, as you get higher, you, the time goes significantly down. Okay. Unless you're ultra pasteurizing, and then you have the, then you pasteurize to 280 degrees for two seconds. So your organic milks, because they're on the shelf longer, are usually ultra pasteurized. But but what but this other scale is just for typical pasteurization. So I looked to see if I could find any evidence that would back him up, and I I, I didn't find anything. So if anybody knows um, about how much you know about pasteurization and has some articles sent them our way. But anyway, so I went and looked at their site. I found nothing on their site whatsoever that even mentioned pasteurization. Nothing. And so I, I did a Google search. I did the site and put in their site and did a whole search of their whole site. Nothing on pasteurization anywhere in their site, which I find odd, you know, because they, you know, their primary product is milk. So why wouldn't they mention their pasteurization process? So he said it was on there, and of course it's not. So, I, Sounds I, to me well, like it was a selling point. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's what ultimately it, it was said pseudoscience. It. Well, that's well, that's what I want. I mean, if, if it's true, great. But I don't think it is. I've never seen anything that that would really suggest that it's significant. You know, and it's what I guess significant would have to be better than what thirty percent or something and, for it to really. Right, be he's significant. also just one of the salesmen. More than likely, that this is our pitch. Say it. Don't question it. Right. Well, but I challenged him on it, and he had yeah, he and, choked, and he choked. That's not surprising, though. Yeah. So. I, I can um, tell you that up at um, Golden Gate State Park here in Colorado, no signs of Bigfoot. I looked. Okay. Did you see anything particularly blurry? That's right, because he'll be blurry, I think, even to the naked eye. Yes. No, everything I saw pretty much was, you know, I, I could make out. All right. According to the Invisible Man television show, Bigfoot itself is naturally invisible. I believe that. All right. And according to the $6 million man, Bigfoot's actually bionic. Yeah. And according to uh, Venture Brothers, he ended up with a $6 million man in a gay relationship. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we did our Bigfoot show last week. I think I covered Bigfoot pretty thoroughly last week, didn't I? Yeah, I do not remember a, a gay relationship between Bigfoot. And okay, I guess I missed that. So I missed the gay relationship with Bigfoot. Okay, I'm sorry. I missed one little thing. 
Right, after we talk about eco camping, it has to come up. (laughs) We were joking about it while we were up there. All right, that's good. So, uh, last Monday, I was was a guest host on the uh, PGL Lobbycast. Which and they're primarily a gaming podcast, but if uh, but if anybody's interested um, in a gaming podcast, they're, they're friends of mine. So uh, pregamelobby.com, and that'll be in the show notes. Uh, that was fun, and so I I plugged the podcast. I went on there, and um, we we've got to have a promo. We need to make a promo so that we can give it to these podcasts to play for us because they'll play it, and we'll play theirs, and you know. In fact, if people send us promos for stuff, we'll play their promos. We haven't done much of that, but if anybody's listening and they want us to play their promo, send it on over to me. And are you a gaming expert? I didn't know that. No, I know. No, 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 no. You're by far much more of a gaming expert than me. I mean, oh. I my my the most recent game that I played is Gemcraft ArmorGames.com. <laughs> wow, yeah, it's it's a good strategy I, we're talking, game. It's fun. We're talking uh, computer games, then. right? But it was fun. Okay. I got to I got to play with the Connect. Um, they they set up the Xbox and they set up the Connect. Connect, and boy, that is really cool. Uh, have you had a chance? Has anybody had a chance to play with Connect? I tried it at a friend's house, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I, was... I learned how to dance to. Um, to Lady Gaga, so that was really, really that's cool. good. Yeah, nobody danced. Uh, I I plugged holes in uh in some. I, I basically I was in, under the sea in some box and I had to plug holes. So we did that. Yeah, I tried that one too. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, that um. So and uh, what else? Uh, so if you go to my profile on Facebook, you know you can see me in all sorts of you know weird positions and jumping. And they put up the pictures. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I don't think we want to see you in any weird positions, Brian. That just doesn't do it for us. Hey, Sorry. these ones aren't sexual. Not this time. <laughs> yeah, at least we're not going to catch Brian Brian running around with his Wii in his hand like you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you never should have tweeted those pictures. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what do you care around the whole Wii for? <laughs> <laughs> all right. And then the other thing, uh, Kimberly and I went to, uh, on Saturday, we were out at, uh, what, Commons Park? That's right. And they were supposed to do Ask an Atheist. And so I got there and looking around for a sign, no sign. I found Kimberly and then we found an, uh, you know, and uh, Kimberly well, and uh, your friend. Um, who's my friend, name? my friend from college, Kevin. He's Kevin. a philosophy professor and he was there to do it too. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then we walked around some more and we picked up another atheist and we picked up, it was like, it was like a nucleus attracting <laughs> protons. Right. I, I'm not getting where good? you're talking about at looking for signs, though, because atheists don't really do that. Don't they mainly look for evidence? <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. So we ended up with seven of us all together and no right. organizer whatsoever. Right. We were expecting someone to have brought a sign to kind of announce that we were doing this Ask an Atheist event. And the idea was to do some public outreach and let the public come up to us and ask an atheist a question and get an answer. Kind of, you know, to humanize us because we're not always portrayed in the media and a lot of people have, you know, uh, think poorly of atheists. So we, we figured we'd kind of combat that a little bit, but the organization was lacking, unfortunately. A, a little bit. I, I guess nobody had any belief in the event. <laughs> well, it turns out <laughs> that we believe in the concept enough. So yes. we're going to do this again, um, and I'm going to help organize it, and I hope I'll get some help from other people. I'll help and we're you. scheduled right now for July 30th. Um, we're going to go to the same park. It's going to be at 16th and Little Raven, and we're going to meet up at my brother's bar beforehand um, for lunch for whoever's interested. And we're going to have a sign and a table and uh, and see what we can do. So it's it's not over yet. We're going to. I think it's a great idea, and I, I hope we'll we'll be able to do something with this. 
Yeah, so I, th- I think it's going to work out. I mean, um, well, we, I mean, it was good because we all got together. We went to the bar and had a drink, and that was good. Uh-huh. And then we talked about how we could do this better and a lot of other stuff. I mean, it would, and, and actually, uh, I, you know, one of the discussions we had was about, uh, about gay marriage, which of course I have, I have a whole bunch of stuff, uh, in the show tonight uh, on that particular topic. So that, uh, that's coming up. Let's get into the articles. Let's then. get into the articles. All right. First one. Um, am I reading this right? Carnivorous furniture powered by meat. I, I I am reading it right. You are. Well, well, tell me about it. Okay. Well, basically, this is not really functional per se. What they're doing is they're taking items that have a function, like a table, and they're adding an electronic function to it. What this is, what this is, is essentially they're trying to create examples of how robots or electronics can blend with your everyday life. So the first art, first item we talked about in there is a table that contains a digital clock, and it essentially baits a mouse up through one of the legs and into the center of the table, where a trapdoor opens and it falls into a chamber full of microbes, which digest the mouse and produce energy to power the table's electronics. How efficient could that possibly be? Probably not very. As I said, these are more thought problems than they are solutions to anything. Kind of like your corpse-eating robot? No, the corpse-eating robot, that has a function. <laughs> I believe that has a function. Oh, okay. You have to leave table scraps all over the table to draw the mouse in the first place. There you go. Some of the, uh, some of the projects have have power bars which people can see watch can see filling up as the furniture digests and powers up but um right i can see some use for that the fly catching clock yeah you know, that'd be a perfect thing to have in any house he, he said though that they liken it to the point of keeping exotic pets where live prey is fed to a lizard or a spider and the feeding becomes a, a spectacle of fascination okay so it's 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 really just, I guess, getting people at home with robots. Okay. So. Well, I, I like it because anything that, anytime that we can feed live animals to something <laughs> to serve another purpose, I'm there. Yep. I guess they don't have to be live. No, but it helps. <laughs> but it, it does bring up some interesting points. And they didn't go into the science of it too much. Like, I, I would have wanted to know how much energy is really coming out of the system. But, I mean, we're, we're kind of talking about, like, technology for the reals. That's kind of like what we've seen in, like, Back to the Future, you know, that little garbage-o-matic or whatever he had on the back yeah, of the car cool, where you yeah. throw, you throw the, biological refuse in there. It converts it to energy, and that powers things. That's effectively what this is doing, but on an extraordinarily small level. I think that the machine he had on the back of the car, if I remember the movie correctly, I think it was actually called Mr. Fusion. Yes, I think that's true. Right. Yes. Okay, so, this is infusion. I'll I'll take that back no. then. Maybe right. but, you know, it's 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 kind of on the same schedule. If if they could actually set this up so that it becomes an alternate power source and powers some things in the home, well, that'd be kind of nice. You know. Yeah, I just I've never the, heard of m- microbial fuel before, but it sounds like it 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 actually works. It takes decaying matter and turns it into into electric fuel in a capacitor. And that's pretty fascinating. It doesn't sound extraordinarily yeah. efficient, but it sounds fascinating. Well, and that take, was, your, uh, take your computer off the surge protector and the UPS and, you know, power it off a mousetrap. There you go. All right. 
Do you guys want to know why men cheat? Because we're horny. Yes. <laughs> no? <laughs> well, I, that, you know what? I, I read it. That's that cheat. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> okay, that's as good a reading as any. So I, I, I did, so I, I found this article, and I found this last week after the whole Wienergate thing. And what, but what was most interesting to me, so this, so this gentleman, uh, Daniel Amons, a- Amon? Yeah. Amon, uh, is a neuroscientist, not a psychiatrist or psychologist. And he was on the Dr. Phil show. And they, and so he was talking, so. Th- well, he must he, be an expert then. Exactly. It was on, yeah, right, exactly. He was an expert. And here I was going to say then he's already suspect. <laughs> well, yeah. So, you know, so he, I mean, the, the first part of the article talks about all these affairs that are going on. And I, and I, I, I guarantee you that this is no more than usual. It's just more people are getting caught than usual. I, 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 well, I also think that's with the all news media, the way it is, it gets spread a lot faster. Well, exactly. So we have a much more, a much better system. I mean, Twitter is fantastic. For I mean I I knew about Wienergate so fast, uh, and and if anybody wants to know what those tweets actually say, they should te- check out um, uh, what is it Bill uh, Bill Maher, and they did a dramatic reading of uh, of the uh, of the Wiener tweets, which was absolutely hilarious. Right with him and Jane Lynch. Exactly, I mean, him and Jane, Jane Lynch is hysterical oh, to begin yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, so. And so they do it. This they're reading these dirty tweets, completely deadpan, and it's hilarious. <laughs> All right, but that so, was not. Us. But okay, but the reason that I chose this article is is because the, Dr. Amons makes a couple of claims. So he he uses the this all these scandals that are going on to talk about why men cheat, and so he's done brain scans of of all of these men. And he he's found that uh, he in I, I don't know if he found this in all of them, but he's talking about the the frontal cortex, and he's claiming that that it is low activity in the frontal cortex that correlates with men cheating. He asserts this information um, based on the studies that he's done. There's no actual study to back this up, but he talks about one one individual in particular, uh, Jose, who they had on the show, who had cheated on his wife was eight times. And he, but he, so they showed the man, they, they, they did the brain scans and they showed him the brain scans. And in the article it says, and then Jose had brain envy. He wanted a new brain. He didn't want to get divorced. He wanted to keep his, his wife. And so he shouldn't have gotten his jar, his brain out of the jar that said abnormal. <laughs> there you go. So he, um, so Dr. Amon gave him uh, a list of things to do and he also suggested um that he change his diet and he gave him some herbs to <laughs> please don't laugh at dr amen that's all it is you, you we all need to change our diets to be faithful men is that what well, saying? Uh, that's is, yes is that this, is what it's saying he said he gave him some herbs to this change his for medical marijuana well but his <laughs> well it changed his brain chemistry these herbs did Medical marijuana. Uh, well, that could do it. So I, I, I read this and I was, I mean, I was, uh, my, my first reaction was <clears throat> appalling. But my second was, you know what? I need an expert to, to, to look at this and to, and to make something of it. So I contacted a psychiatrist and I talked, contacted Dr. Morgan Levy, who is a, a doctor and a, and, a, um, and has a degree in psychology. And I, and I wrote him and said, listen, you know, they're making these claims that, you know, they were able to change brain chemistry with, um, with herbs. And yeah, you have a much better choice of a uh, expert than I would have. Really? Yeah. Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton. Well, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. That, that would have been a good expert. 
Uh, he's an expert at cheating, definitely. He is an expert at cheating. And he's he's extremely good at getting caught at it. So I contacted I contact. <laughs> you can't talk. I can't talk. Can't talk. I contacted Dr. Morgan Levy. I'm sorry, that was probably offensive. <laughs> <laughs> This is not going well. It's <laughs> not going well at all. Oh, okay. So I so I contacted Dr. Morgan Levy and asked him for his opinions of the article. And so he wrote me back, and he found Dr. Amons less than impressive. And so he, he the first thing that he addressed was uh, the the idea of the brain injury and that the uh, Jose had had brain injuries from playing football and from mixed martial arts. And that's, I'm sorry, Ian dropped out. It's it's the problem with using one case, one case and one study to prove your theory. Okay, right. Sounds almost, what's the word? Anecdotal. It does sound anecdotal. Just a little anecdotal. So um, Dr. Levy said that, um, that in some cases, traumatic brain injuries could cause hypersexualities, but in most, it caused the opposite. Um, he said the real problem with the article is the majority of men, the the majority of men that that have these kinds of brain actions actually have a lack of sexual urges, and and Dr. and so Dr. and what he said is that cheating is actually a very human thing to do that we because we are wired to have sex and that I'm trying to read this at the same time that's always bad for me that basically we're we're wired to have the the sex for for. Not just for procreation, but for, for social reasons. And so I found two, I looked up two studies, um, and one from ABC and one from MSBC. And, and what I wanted to know is what, what percentage of people are cheating? And what, it's relatively similar between men and women. The ABC poll showed that 19, uh, that 90% of women cheat and 23% of men cheat. And the MSNBC poll that I found said that 15% of women cheat and 22% of men cheat. So there's not much difference. Uh, women are cheating slightly less than men. So this is a very normal condition. It 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 happens because we're programmed to have sex. Um, what I didn't look at, which I thought would be interesting, was in in what situations are are people more likely to to cheat? Um, high stress situations and stuff like that, and I think that might be interesting if there's any data related to that. Well, in this uh, in this thing you've got here from Morgan Levy, Doctor Morgan Levy. Yes, um, he's we're calling talking him Doctor. Actually, actually, I'm sorry. We they, need to take that back. We need Doctor Levy needs to be known as the Lizard. So, so, so when you refer to Doctor Levy, refer to him as the Lizard, please. Why are we referring to him, Doctor Levy, as the Lizard? It's an inside joke, and if he listens to the podcast, he'll understand. Okay. All right. So. <laughs> The lizard, if please. The uh, the information here from the lizard, Doctor Morgan Levy. He he said here that the the low prefrontal activity can be attributed to depression. Yes. And you know, I'm sorry, but if you're depressed, one of the things you're going to want to do is make yourself feel better. That would tend to that would tend to give somebody kind of an impetus to cheat. Not necessarily a good reason, but it would give them an impetus to cheat because they're looking for they're looking for a change. I think there was a line from I think the movie was City Slickers where the wife is saying, You're saying I'm not happy up here and she points at her head, so you think you'll be happy down here. And so she 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 makes a gesture at her at her pelvic region. 
So, uh, I mean, but is the implication that depressed men are more likely to cheat? Because I, I think it would be the opposite, but I don't know that for sure. I guess it would depend on the reasons for um, depression. Well, I'd, the classic midlife crisis. Okay. You you feel bad about yourself. You're losing what what prime of life you had, so you go out, you buy an expensive sports car, and you get a, mit- a mistress to stick in it. Right. But here's so here's the thing is that ultimately what Ian said is right that the idea that if we if we change our eating habits and take special herbs that we will that we'll cheat less is kind of what's being promoted here and this is what seems to be in Dr. Eamon's book that he's promoting and, and yeah it definitely does yeah. seem like he's selling his book right so and ultimately the only way to change your brain chemistry like this um, that there is an herb that does it uh, we call it Prozac yeah. Well, and I'm sitting here thinking, what do we call a scientist who uses one study to prove his theory and make himself famous? Among other things, we call him George Reekers. We'll get to that later in the podcast. George, okay. Yeah, so so, so this was interesting. And so I, I'm, we'll, we'll post on our webpage um, Dr. Levy's response to this as well. He said I, he said I could use that. So we'll, we'll put his full response up on the, on the website as well. But ultimately what's going on here is, you know, is Dr. Amons isn't qualified, number one, to, to be acting in these situations. And he's making claims that, you know, psychiatrists are diagnosing people the same way that they always have. But I think that those diagnoses have changed and we've learned a lot. And so I think that, um, that his assertion there is wrong. Um, and, and I, and the idea that you can, that you can balance, get, eat a better diet and take these herbs and you'll have less, uh, less reasons to cheat is absolutely fallacious. That's what I came away with. Anything else? I'm not a fan of uh, using biology or instinct to uh, sort of just excuse bad behavior. I mean, it's interesting to look at okay. uh, evolutionary everything in the past, but we've come to the point where we can suppress our bad urges. Yeah. I'll say that that you're right that that it isn't an excuse for cheating just because we're wired in a certain way that that we can go beyond our wiring. But I don't think that I think that those urges are there. And that some people just follow them. Am I wrong there? No, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think those urges are there in in most people because we are we are wired to to notice certain characteristics. We we look at things, we see things we find attractive. We say yes or no. We're either going to cheat or we're not going to cheat. But you know, I think that the best the best instinct of us as human beings is to say, if I've made a commitment, I stick with that commitment. Right. And the way that I deal with this is just pretend my wife is somebody else. I just dress her up differently at night. <laughs> I think I think Eric's point is, is very good. I do too. I, but I think we also have to, you know, acknowledge the fact like you say, it, it's some some of the stuff we have to just acknowledge the biology of it and the fact that, you know, we are wired for certain things and just kind of accept it in society. I don't know that you necessarily have to excuse away bad behavior because there's so many different ways of doing things. But I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit of a touchy subject, especially with, with the cheating kind of scenario. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Dan Savage, and he's constantly talking about just how difficult monogamy is for a lot of people. And it's kind of a biological fact that it is very tough. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean you get a free pass and can do whatever you want, but 
as a society, shouldn't we acknowledge the difficulty of it that we are not really wired for monogamy before yeah. we go condemning all of these different people and ruining careers and stuff like that? Have you read Sex at Dawn? I started to. I actually had to give it back to the library before I finished uh, it. That's too bad um, because it talks about this very issue. And, and, and it talks about how, you know, that it is difficult. And for some people, monogamy just might not be the right thing. And yeah. if that's the case, by admitting that and kind of dealing with it in an appropriate way, that it's fine. If monogamy is not for you and it's not something you're capable of, then maybe you should just structure your life so that that's not an issue for you, that, so that you're not monogamous. Create those exactly. relationships for yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. And then it's not I cheating. Because the, the thing of cheating isn't necessarily so much the sex, it's the betrayal. Right. If you don't have a betrayal aspect to it, then you're just talking about polygamy and, you know, and again, like to your point, you can kind of negotiate with the person who can accept this, you know, a certain way of life. I mean, and, and I, I think everybody kind of figures out their own thing. It's it's just, again, that idea that we have to, as a society, pretend we don't even have these urges and then be all like, oh, I can't believe somebody cheated. You know, how terrible. Well, I'm not shocked but, and, at all by any of this. And and I understand that we have these urges, and and I think that us as rational people accept that. I mean, does the wiener thing really bother you that much? I mean, ultimately, no, not really. It shows poor judgment, though. Well, it certainly it shows poor judgment. But but does that mean that he should no longer be our senator? I mean, I mean, he's made really good judgments as far as being our senator is concerned. So he made bad judgments as far as the relationship is concerned. Well, I, yeah, how many businesses have that kept their careers going? I guess the question is, how many of us was he representing when he tweeted his genitals? Well, he wasn't representing me. Yeah, I don't think he was representing me either. So the question is, was when he tweeted his genitals, was he acting as a representative or was he acting as a private citizen? I think he was acting based I'm on his hormones. pretty sure private citizen. Yeah, I think so too. Private okay. citizen. So Private citizen showing his privates. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So the next thing in here is just a, um, I, I, um, uh, Dr. Levy the Lizard uh, sent me a uh, an article um, on to be human or not to be. And so it was, it's just an essay that he wrote that I found really interesting. So I'm just going to throw that in there. I don't think we need to, to talk about it. Do we have Ian back yet? Yeah, yeah he's here. For a second. Now he's gone again. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on uh, to um, uh, Skeptics Show or Skeptics Show No. Skeptics. Psychic show is no salve for grief. There we go. And and uh, Kimberly gave this to to us, even though I had put my name on it, you know, like the jerk I am. And I, I've forgiven you. You know what, though? It um, says so psychic, and so people would believe that I found this article. <laughs> so this article, real quick, um, comes from uh, a newspaper in, um, what, New Hampshire, I guess? Nashua Telegraph. And it was about a group of skeptics out there who went ahead and were they didn't really protest or anything they were outside of a uh, John Edward show so right, this so is the guy who does the the from beyond talks to the dead for uh people and and apparently sells $125 seats and oh, fills yeah, an auditorium expensive. to capacity so th this was in Manchester so this is in the UK or oh. uh well oh, sorry. why did i think it was here i don't know it's Manchester's says, all over the place is there you but it doesn't say Manchester it doesn't say, but Carol, you know, North Nashua, Carolina. Well, it's, it's the Granite State skeptics. It's probably Nash. It's probably Manchester, New Hampshire. New Hampshire, you think? Okay. Since Nashua's Nashua's in New okay. Hampshire. Okay, well, that's, uh, that's okay. So, well, I, I, I edit that part too. Yeah. So, yeah, um, <laughs> no problem. I'll fix that. 
So anyway, this group of skeptics went to um, were outside the theater that that he was doing a show at, and what they did was they identified themselves and they handed people who were going in, people who had bought these hundred and twenty five dollars seats, they handed them a blank envelope, and inside the envelope were these randomly generated bingo cards, and the bingo cards instead of you know B. 11 or whatever, had uh, different phrases. And the idea was you went into the show and you marked off when John Edwards said one of the phase phrases on your bingo card and um, you could see if you won. Um, obviously, there were probably no real prizes except for coming out with maybe a little bit of a different viewpoint on this kind of stuff. And, and in fact, after the show, they handed out some materials on how cold readings are done and, and what the psychic or skeptic rather groups, um, kind of promoted with critical thinking and stuff. And I just, I just thought this was just a really great exercise in, um, guerrilla skepticism and getting the word out there and doing it politely in making a real impact on people. I mean, obviously, at, at that kind of a rate, these people really bought into John Edward being a psychic, really communicating with the dead. And I think uh, something like this really kind of demonstrates, you know, it's just a cold reading. And as impressive and as fun as that can be, it's not the psychic experience that is being claimed here. So I hope it, it really helps some people. Uh, well, do you I just think it that it did? I mean, here's, here's the thing. Is it's that, very I mean, clever. Yeah, it is clever, but, I mean, a lot of the re, a lot of the responses that they posted, I don't know if these were the majority or not, were people who were saying that the skeptics should just go away and, you know, and, and not be doing this kind of stuff. Um, and, and certainly I think that they should, and I think that this was non uh, the most non-offensive way that they could have done this, since, you know, just hand out, hey, listen for these things. Um, but does, I mean, if you're already paying $120 for something, you've bought into that. Yeah. So you do not want to hear that what you're about to, that you just, what you just spent $120 on is a fraud. And so no, I think it's hard to it's, hear that. It's embarrassing. Yeah, it's exactly. Message, it's embarrassing. If I were one of those people, the message this would give to me is you're an idiot. That's what I'm so afraid that's of, not too. Well, I'm, I'm okay. a little curious here. Right. There's a paragraph in here talking about, I guess they were handing out one envelope per person. Yet some woman came out and handed thrust a handful of these envelopes back into their hands and and got really got really upset at them. Where did she gather up all these envelopes from? Maybe she was somebody affiliated from the show. She it doesn't say from her friends. She came in with a group and she took them from the entire group. Yeah, probably. It probably, but it does it does beg the question because it doesn't answer it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> that, that little piece is, is, it really doesn't matter where she got them. She got them somehow, and she probably did from friends or whatever, and she went and she, you know, gave them back. Yep. But it does matter because it arouses my curiosity. Okay. And if so it arouses I, I'd, I'd like to hear more about, so I, I did not think this was rude. I mean, yes, it might be kind of insinuating to people if you buy this, um, you're stupid, but, I thought it was done in a classier way than that. Not, I might not be the most tactful person on I, the planet, so yeah, I don't, I don't want to hear more. I think Eric's point is that it, because these people spend $120 for somebody to tell them that what they're about to see is is fake makes them feel stupid. And so whether whether what they did was was not aggressive or not, the way that these people are going to feel by being approached, no matter how you approach them, I think – um, they're going to feel stupid. Is that kind of the point you're trying to make there, Eric? Kind of. And uh, when I'm going along, I don't like being approached by anybody, basically. I don't like uh, you know, whether it's a charitable group I agree with, a, a, a petition I agree with or not. I just want to be left alone to go my way. 
And I can 100% agree with that. Well, I, I, you know, every day when I walk to lunch, I'm approached by uh, typically um, the ACLU, um, the Children's Coalition, uh, Greenpeace, and, of course, the, uh, the Denver Voice. Those are the four people that I, that generally I have to walk past on my way to lunch every day. And so I agree with you that because it's like I joined the ESLU because I'm, I agree with what they're doing. And actually, as far as they go, they, they have been, they, they were the easiest. Oh, I guess the other one is uh, Planned Parenthood. I see, uh, I see them every day. And, I agree with what many of these are doing, particularly Planned Parenthood and ASOU. I, I find Greenpeace sometimes questionable. Uh, the, the Denver Voice is uh, uh, the new homeless people selling a newspaper, so you give them a donation. It probably helps them. I haven't really looked at how good the statistics are for that. So, yeah, I, I, I agree that I don't want to be approached either. But how else? I mean, if, the, if, if they're not doing that, how else do they approach people? I don't think that there's any way. I mean, I don't want phone calls. I don't want to be approached. Yeah. Yeah. So they, I, I, they, they've got to do it. Even whether I like it or not, I think, I think it's good that they do it. Um, I'm only going to give money to certain charities anyway. I don't know. That, I think that, that's a tough call. I wish there was a better answer for that. Ian, are you back with us? Let me, yeah, as far as I know. All right. Okay. Good to hear you, buddy. Oh, I had, wait. Oh, I skip way down. No, no. Was I skipping around? You I skipped was. around to Kimberly's article. I skipped around quite a bit because I went to the. Uh, but oh no, I did. I skipped down there. Okay, so. Um, so let's talk about how the shape of a woman's pout may mean better sex. Oh God, this was. You know what? I, I do want to thank Ian for not reading the the Daily Mail today this week. <laughs> but he still managed to find something that might as well have been published in the Daily Mail. Well, and the Huffington Post is. Definitely goes for the. Oh yeah, it goes for the sensational. Well, is that where this? Because I have this no, off no, of this M- is MSNBC, MSNBC. right? Uh, wasn't yeah. that Huffington Post? Okay, no, it's not. The Huff Post is a different. Well, but I mentioned you, he was yeah. But but you're right, okay. and and he's gone again. So, uh, shall we do the article with Adam? It's his article. I maybe he hung up when I started to you know make fun of him. <laughs> I swear, last week we needed to have an intervention. Every uh, every article he put in there was from the Daily Mail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we go do the nuclear power? All right. Let's do one more shot. Let's talk about nuclear power because I am a fan of nuclear power. And one of the reasons I'm a fan of nuclear power is that it is less dangerous than every other form of power that we have. So recently with nuclear power, there, I mean, we're, we have some, some issues that have arisen. And it's been a long time since we've had any issues with nuclear power, but recently we have we have Japan, and we have yes. a, a nuclear power plant in Japan that was designed for a twelve foot flood, a tsunami. I think it was twelve foot, and a and an earthquake of like eight magnitude. It got hit with an earthquake of nine magnitude and a flood that was twenty five or higher feet. Right. So they, they built it for kind of a hundred year scenario, you know, worst case scenario that, that, that they could have expected. Now they got something way outside of what they had expected. But regardless, it still has, it's still in pretty good shape. It looks like it's going to get controlled. They've, they've made significant, um, inroads into, into cooling those reactors and it's going to be okay. And to their credit, they responded in such a way to try and protect the most amount of people. 
And even though no radiation is probably going to leak out into the surrounding areas, they evacuated people. They, they, they've done what they're, what they're supposed to do in this, in the, in, in this particular case. So in the United States, of course, we also have some flooding going on. Um, and so we have, um, there's two nuclear power plants in Nebraska that are in danger. One is, is currently being flooded and is shut down. And they've gone through all the necessary, um, you know, procedures to, to take care of this reactor. They have, um, and they have generators that are that are powering it to to keep um, to keep the reactors cool. So they so they have the proper amount of power. And in this particular case, it looks like they had done a very good job that that the power plant safety procedures were up to spec for this kind of a disaster. So there's so and and so one of the things that really irked me about this is listening to radio this morning um, and listening to an uninformed radio talk show host, a liberal, talking about this particular incident and, you know, and, and railing about nuclear power, where in this case, everything is working exactly the way that it's supposed to. The reactor is going to is shut down and it's in no danger of of a of a core meltdown. They have their proper power in place. It should be fine. I don't know what it would take at this point for it to become, uh, for how much more flooding it would need before it would be a problem. But the amount of flooding that they have incurred have not has not been an issue, and so they're not worried about the reactor in this particular case. But one of the issues that we have with nuclear power is that it is it it sounds like it like MRIs and stuff. What we have a nuclear resonance scan. Well, they don't call it that. Because of the word nuclear, so whenever the word nuclear is in, is involved in something, it, you know, people it makes people nervous. New, nuclear makes people nervous, and a lot of the reasons this is probably, you know, it, it, we don't understand it as well. We understand coal, we understand wood, we understand gas. Those are easy for the average person to to look at, and we can physically touch those things, and we can kind of understand them. Nuclear, we cannot. Nu- you know, nuclear radiation, you know, something that has to be handled very specialized. You, you know, it, it takes a much, it, it takes a lot more education to deal with nuclear. And so I think that that's one of the main reasons that we see these kind of issues. So this article came out came out a while ago. And so what what they did is they looked at the death rates per terawatt hour. Okay, well just a second Brian before okay. you get into that. Yeah. This talk show host you were talking about, who is his main audience? I mean, who's listening to this guy? Who wants to hear him talk about nuclear power plants and how they're going to kill us all? Liberals. Democrats. Okay. It's it, it, it's it's yeah. It was uh, he was he he's on the uh, local AM seven sixty in the morning. Okay. My second point on this uh, these two power plants in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. It says that the Cooper Nuclear Station is located downriver and is situated on higher ground. Yeah, and it, it isn't affected at this point. I want to take that into task because I've been through Nebraska and there is no higher ground. <laughs> Oh man! So, so you're going to call me out on geography, huh? Yes, I am. All right. That 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 plant at this point is not in danger of flooding, right? So yeah, I, I I understand that. Yeah. So so yeah. So you, your idea of higher ground when you have the um mile you know uh, the Rocky Mountains behind us is much different than Nebraska. I will I will grant yeah. you that. I measure mine in terms of hundreds of feet. They measure their higher ground in terms of inches. I understand that. <laughs> more like tens of feet. Oh, wait. That's an inch higher elevation-wise above sea level. Okay, higher ground. We're fine. It's Louisiana that counts it in terms of feet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So all right. So anyway, so looking, deaths per TWH. Right. So the worst, the most, the, the most deaths per terawatt hour is coal, and and so coal has. Um, and I'm not sure. You know, I I think it goes into some specifics about them. But you know, we we have mining accidents, we have um, suffocation, and different things like that. So coal. Do they so, count? Do they count? Uh, uh, body deterioration due to black lung in the coal deaths. Well, and I think also, um, I think that's part of it. And I think also admissions, you know, the mercury emissions and stuff like that. The admissions from coal are far worse than nuclear or any of the others. And you look at the statistics in China, it's even worse than in, in the United States. So yeah. China, um, you know, we, we're per terawatt hour, we're killing 161 people. Uh, no. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Average. That's world average. China's got per terawatt hour. We're right. killing fifteen people. Oh, fifteen. Okay, hour. so we're doing pretty good. Ch- China, China has more issues than we do. Um, oil, which is the next, is killing thirty-six. Natural gas kills four. Biofuels kill twelve. Peat kills twelve. Solar is 0.44. Wind is 0.15. Hydro, which I was kind of surprised about, is 0. Uh, 0.10 and 0. 0.14 for the world, I guess. But my favorite is nuclear, 0.04. Okay. My question is, would it be a higher death rate, though, if it were a higher percentage of world energy? I think that one of the things that the nuclear has going for it is because the word nuclear is so scary, that the amount of safety precautions that are being implemented here are are quite significant. So, I yes, it would probably, it might be more, but I still don't think that it will come close to coal. Okay. So they do actually have the percentages. They say that right now nuclear ac- accounts for 5.9% of right. world energy, while the coal right. is 26%. So even if, uh, I'm, I'm not going to be your math expert here, right. but no. five times 0. 0.04 is 0. 0.2 deaths if you got it up to the same amount of energy and right. it stayed constant. So you're and still pretty low. So it's You're still not going to be the math expert, and yet you did the math. Right. Well, you know. Hey, I'm impressed. So my, oh, my, my point is here that nuclear is by far the safest form of power that we that we have. It's like, it appears to be. It, it's like looking at flying, right? People are scared of flying. And when a plane crashes, it's big news. Why? Because it doesn't happen very often. So nuclear right. is the same thing. When, when a problem happens at a nuclear power plant, it's big news because it doesn't happen that often. Well, and well, because it's a big fear. Because it's sensational, because it's a big fear. Right. Sorry, Kimberly, I didn't mean to tromp on you there. Go ahead, no, no, Tim. that's no problem. The other thing is, I think that people fear is, uh, you know, how many civilians are killed by in in the coal industry versus nuclear, which, again, in that catastrophic case, it's not just the workers who are at risk. But in the same kind of thing with flying, you know, like of course the rate of accident is is extremely lower on airplanes. Right. Um, but it's not like it's not like half of the people survive a crash and half dies. It's usually just about everybody, right, except for of course the one that God chooses to save. Even even with nuclear, uh, um, the the people that are at the most risk are are the people working in the plant. Even the, in the case of a meltdown, you look at like Three Mile Island that that had a core meltdown, and the people involved got no more um, nuclear. Um, radiation than and than a chest X-ray, and not one single molecule was released into the public. 
So, so in, so in where coal, those, those stacks that, um, are admitting right into the atmosphere and we know that there are mercury and other toxins in there and they're causing cancers and stuff that nuclear is not. We might like coal better though because we can see what it's doing. Whereas nuclear is like, uh, it's, it's Insidious. silent and invisible, and invisible. Right, but uh, the other thing is, is that the United States is the Saudi Arabia of coal. We have so much coal in this country that it, it is abundant, and so we can get to it and when we can use it. I mean, yeah. So, regardless, I'm, I'm totally with you. I'm, I'm okay. very pro nuclear as well. I think the numbers really bear out why we should be doing more of these. When you compound the fact that you know because of the bad media, we have not advanced in nuclear technology the way we should have. You know, we've got right. plants that are 30 years old now, and I don't think any have been built in the last 10 years in America. Is that right? I think that it's been quite true. a yeah, while. Quite a, but they're looking at proposals for nuclear plants. I think we're going to build some. And, and you know, the things that these new – one of the things that I think these newer plants are going to have is they're going to have um, cooling mechanisms that don't rely on external power in case of a catastrophic failure um, like this, where even the plants in Nebraska don't have that. Right. And, the, and if the plants in um, Japan had had a system like that, we, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. They would have been shut down and they would have been, you know, gravity fed, fed and cooled and, you know, we, you know, case closed. Um but they weren't quite in that situation, and not all of the reactors there had problems. Only if only the older reactors had these issues. Right, exactly. A, a very old, considering right. how fast the technology has moved, and, and it was really done in its infancy. And I just wanted to share, I grew up on Long Island, and um, they built a, a nuclear power plant out there. Built the whole thing up, cost millions, billions, whatever it was, and uh, never saw a day of, of use because of the, the really bad media that came out. And one of the things they said was, you know, well, it's an island. If, if this goes bad, there's no way to evacuate people. And it was like, it was, again, you know, people weren't taking into account the real risks involved, the real statistical risk. They just had that kind of blind panic of, what would I do? I can't leave. And, right. um, you know, it's, it's just that, that human nature of not truly understanding statistics and truly understanding what risks are involved. Like you say, when you put this out there and you do all of the math, your chances of being affected by this, if all of the protocols are fo followed, if all of the technology is updated and investigated and invested in, it's really, really unlikely <laughs> to need right. it. Again, just like those airplanes, they're not going down. Right, uh, exactly. All that yeah. so, Although one, the, the airplanes are also in that same aged state now. Mm -hmm. But so I have just two thoughts on this that I want to throw out there. First of all, the word nuclear scares me a hell of a lot less than the word nuclear. Second, there is a there is a consistent source and a popular source of bad press for nuclear reactors. Dare I <laughs> say it? No. Homer fucking Simpson. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, but I mean, looking, looking, look at the actual numbers here. Right, and then decide which plant do you want to live next to. I'm living next to the nuclear power plant every time. I guess the wind. Numbers, I guess I, yeah. Back you up. Yeah, the numbers. Yeah. They yeah. do. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. So, Ian, are you back to talk about? No, he's the not back. He's, spout? he's not back. Well, he was a minute ago. Well, he's in and out. You know that that guy is like you know hurting it, the cat. He's it, he's been he's been talking about the shape of a woman's spout, and now he's in and out. That sure sounds a little suspicious. 
All I right. think it's gay marriage time. Let's do this. All right, let's do gay marriage. Let's talk about gay so marriage. Now, now, this is I, I this is in here for Kim, I must say. I, I, I looked up all these articles, but but I, I put this in here for you, Kim. Oh, that's sweet. Oh, thanks. To any of the listeners who don't know, I'm a big old dyke. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm gay. I'm a lesbian. Um, partnered for about five years now. So just get that out there in case anyone's curious. Right. Well, <laughs> it was funny because when we were having our discussion – um, and I was asking, you know, I asked the men, you know, are you, are you gay? Do you care about this issue? I didn't ask him and not because, you know, I didn't care what she thought because I, I knew exactly what I, I already knew her position and I didn't even think to ask her. It was, it was terrible of me. <laughs> so yay, New York has mm. approved gay marriage. And, and yay. when I first heard this, I'm like, Good okay. For Good for New York. Right. So was this in, was this in the House or the Senate? No. They signed the bill. The mayor signed it. This, and this was one of the things that he ran on that he wanted to, um, that he wanted to legalize gay marriage. And so he's done that. So they had a gay pride festival and Hillary Clinton said how wonderful it was. And, uh, that's great, right? Everybody can get behind this except Pat Robertson. Poor Pat. Oh, I know this guy. It was a bad day for him. It was a bad day for him. Well, his I mean, heterosexual marriage is in extreme jeopardy now that those fags in New York <laughs> might tie the knot. Well, I don't know how his everybody. marriage is going to survive it. Well, and isn't that kind of the slippery slope argument? Because that's what I've heard. I've heard, you know, that this idea that if we legalize gay marriage, then all these gays are going to be getting married, and nobody can, no, no heterosexuals are going to be getting married anymore, and then nobody's going to populate, and so the the earth is just going to, the humans go away. That's a bad argument, but that's not his argument. His well, argument, it isn't, but that, that that's an argument that was made to me one time. And it's like so. It's like okay. So well, that's a slippery slope argument. With well, another slippery slope argument that I've heard is that if you legalize marriage between a man and a man and a woman and a woman, then you're basically one step away from legalizing marriage between a man and a child, a man yeah. and a rubber doll, a man and a television set. That's also the slippery slope argument. It is yeah. indeed. Yeah, as it's long a very the slippery slope. That are consenting. Right, but that's not Pat Robertson's problem. And, and his Pat Robertson's problem is a little bit more, um, a little bit more direct. That basically God is going to take out New York because this is not okay with God, and that we are pissing off God by letting these homosexuals marry. Did I sum sum up his argument yeah. well enough for you? Uh, well, any, there's any, a whole lot of there's a whole lot of Sodom and Gomorrah in there. But oh, okay, happens. okay, yeah. Well, yeah, he makes that he makes that reference too. And you know what? I I've heard several different interpretations of Sodom and Gomorrah, and what it says in the King James Bible is that they they they, they came and they wanted to know the um the angels and that can be interpreted one of two ways basically they they you know they were suspicious of them and they wanted to find out what they were doing here and the end also it, it could refer to the fact that they wanted to have sex with them no no it was clearly a guy's night out and they're like hey let's get all the guys out and go hang we don't want any chicks around because it's a guy's night out uh, i think the problem with sodom and gomorrah was the rape more than the homosexuality That'd be my part. Well, I, I agree with that, but the, I, I'm not sure that I, you know, in the King, the King, interpreting the King James, you can. It doesn't necessarily say that that they wanted to rape him. They, they definitely wanted to know what these what these people were doing here, and we know that God sent the angels down because of all the atrocities that were going going on in Sodom. 
But that but, doesn't necessarily automatically mean that all these people wanted to rape them. But if you read well, also, the NIV... In the Old Testament, at that point in time, the number one sin was just not worshipping God. Right. It wasn't necessarily, yeah, having sex with them. Um, with Well, and, and this is definitely about men, not about women having sex. That appears to be okay. There is something at some point about women laying with a woman as she would a man. No, oh, I have not read that, and that might be in a different... That's I don't think that's in the King James, but that doesn't mean that it's not in something like the NIV, because the NIV was definitely written by evangelicals to support their viewpoint, and it definitely says in the NIV that this was about men raping men. I thought it was Ian. I thought it was the. I thought it was the other way around. A man shall not lay with a man as he would with a woman. Right. That's what it says. A woman should not lay with a woman as she would with a man. I've seen it with both. Going through both. Okay. Possible. And once again, that's not in the King James, but there's a whole bunch of other Bibles that that could be in. And I do believe the passage that you're referring to does have the very moral lesson that if you do have two angels over to your house and there are people who do want to gay rape them, the best solution is to give the mob your daughters. Yes, to have them absolutely. Them that is exactly. The angels. Exactly. So I mean, yep. it's just it's all full of really positive messages <laughs> that I can understand a 21st century American getting right behind. Because I mean, how do you argue with that kind of you know thinking? what? And, and didn't, didn't, you know, Lot and part of his family got away, but didn't his wife get assaulted on the way out of town? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes, she looked back. But here's an interesting point about that, that, um, that you, this is about rape and this, and isn't about a loving relationship between two people. It never says that that is wrong. It just specifically said, it, I mean, that, that is talking about rape and sodomize, sodomizing somebody. Um, but it, it really doesn't say anything about a relationship between two men or two women. It really doesn't if, cover if that anywhere the in the case, Bible. Then hell, the angels would be busy with all the prisons in the U.S. You know what? I saw Dogma, and they don't have the genitalia for this anyway. So I don't know what these people in Sodom and Gomorrah were thinking. That's right. Um, well, and of course, you know, this all comes back to the fact that as of now, hopefully going forward, we do not live in a theocracy. And regardless, if on page three of the Bible it said, don't be a fag or you're going to hell, it still doesn't need to be law. Right. Right. And, you know, he's got he's got in here, there isn't one single civilization that has survived that openly embraced homosexuality. This is tricky because... Although it was not actually considered homosexuality in ancient Greece, there was an awful lot of really, really close behavior between older men and younger men. behavior. Well, only the modern civilizations have survived. So I don't really see that saying much of anything. And Rome survived quite a while until um, Christianity moved in, and it fell after it um, converted to Christianity. What That's a good that point. Say? That's a very good point. Well, yeah, well, Nero, Nero burning it down had very little to do with it, right? Some uh, the the nutcase that was in charge. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that wasn't about that wasn't about homosexuality though. That was about masturbation because Nero fiddled while Rome burned. <laughs> Yeah, masturbation isn't bad in the Bible, no matter what they may say. <laughs> I don't. What they use is a guy would not um, impregnate his brother's widow, and instead, in defiance of God, he spread his seed on the wall. He at no point did actually say masturbation was a sin. It was the defiance of God that was a sin. Good point. Well, you know, I haven't read in there anywhere that it says you're going to go blind, but I do wear glasses. <laughs> Well, and I think we've Very talked about today. We've, is we've there talked an article somewhere in here? <laughs> is there an article? Right. Can we get back to the topic? 
talk once about the fact that you you shave your palms like twice a day to get rid of that five o'clock shadow. Exactly. Yes, yeah, I, I have mentioned that. You know, but it's kind of a soft fur. All right. So let's talk about Prop Eight because I I really didn't know much about Prop Eight, but proposition. Well, I'm uh, well. You know, and Eric, I think, can speak more to this than I can. You live in California. Yeah. Yeah. This is supposed to be the blue state, not New York. Well, I guess they're both blue states, but yeah. Kind of disappointed by that one. Okay, so Prop 8 was put into law after um, Proposition 22 was passed, and Proposition 2 legalized same-sex marriage, and then Proposition 8 was put in to oppose it. And what I found interesting about this reading uh, this is that it, it talked about, you know, that this, you know, this horrendous uh, Proposition 22 that got passed um, and what and did not reflect the majority of people. And I thought that that was really interesting because sometimes laws are not about the uh, the majority, but they're about the minority and giving the minority equal rights to the majority. And I think in this case, I mean, that's really what what's going on here is that we are we, we have a minority of people that we are um, denying rights that probably they should oh and i should say probably that they should have i'm going to say they should have these rights and so but that's the one that the one thing they kept going back to in this article was that it wasn't what the majority thought was right and i say hell with the majority let's hear before before brian or you drop off again let's hear about a woman's pout well, wait, hold on. We were in the middle, we were in the middle of a subject. We're in the middle of something. We need to go back to Proposition Eight. Okay, back to Proposition Eight. Right. What did you? What I don't remember. I don't know when you guys dropped off. Uh, but, you were talking about the tyranny of the majority. Right. Oh, so yeah. I, my my issue with the way that, especially the way that um that site is worded, because they talk about how this went against went against what the majority wanted. And I don't, you know, I, I know, you know, it's a democracy and, and that, but that doesn't mean that just because the majority wants something that, that they're right. Yeah, well, no, majority, while majority can guide the laws, there's a certain level where the majority is not the, the true power. Because if so, you know, we, we have stuff like slavery, women rights, stuff like that, where the majority was um, say, hey, no, we don't want that. But like, no, it doesn't matter whether or not you want it. it. Matters what is about freedom, what follows the basic ideas of you know common sense. And so, to well, and, and I would argue that there's that, no such thing as common sense. That this is oh, okay. more more about our societal morals and what right. we've created for ourselves. And the idea that you know, um, well, it says all men are created equal, which is not true. But okay. But the idea that everybody should be treated equal, I think, is part of what we have tried to create in the United States. And And the majority cannot overdo, overrule that kind of ideas. The the majority cannot come in and say, hey, listen, we've decided that, um, we're going to mistreat the Muslims. No, sorry. I don't care if, you know, the majority of our country is Christian. They can't come in and say, okay, um, if you're Muslims, you don't have any rights. It doesn't work that way. Right. The first chief justice of the Supreme Court talked about the tyranny majority, and our system is sort of set up to not allow it. Well, and this is one of those cases where we are denying equal rights to a segment of our population. Right. And they're trying to defend it by saying the majority um, doesn't think they should have rights. That doesn't matter. Or they try and say that the Bible says it's not okay, but we are a secular society. And I don't necessarily believe that the people who are claiming to be the majority are the majority. Well, they are certainly no. the vocal majority. They're vocal, but that doesn't mean they're the majority. 
In for, fact, the, the largest majority of people are the ones who unfortunately don't show up. You know, when these things, well, they were in the majority, but they're as old people die, it's changing. But here, it's, it's officially now at about fifty. I mean, fifty-one or fifty-two percent of people polled, and of course, as as accurate as those things are with their statistical errors, we have as a country finally moved into a majority position supporting marriage equality. But it is, and that's a, terrific. But, but it isn't a majority of voters. Matter. That one of the issues is is not a majority of voters. Even in Colorado, when that when we try to pass just palimony agreements for mm-hmm. same sex marriages, it, uh, the the you know the majority of people that voted said no. Right, and to the point is, this should not be. This isn't a ballot thing, and it's not a popularity contest either. I agree. Yeah, it, it's it's like you said, you know people have alluded to, and a lot of people get real uptight when you compare the um, the gay movement to equal rights in the 60s, but I think there there's a lot of parallels there. And not to get too specific, though, but when it comes down to it, we would not be, we st- I, I guess we, I, we would still be a segregated society, I think, if we had not enforced the rule of law over yeah. the public will. <clears throat> there are a lot of similarities. The, the gay rights movement is probably a little better dressed, but... So, so we have Proposition 8, which is being challenged and it was upheld and then, and and just recently it was um it was deemed unconstitutional. So now it, it's going to have to I don't th- now does it go to ca- um the California Supreme Court or does it go to No, it was the California Supreme Court that upheld it and it was okay. a federal uh, judge in San Francisco that overturned it so it's going to go to the Supreme Court next I think. Okay. Or they're going to take it to there. Well, they're going to try. Yeah, I mean, they, they they can always decide not to hear it and say and and redeem it back to the federal court, which would be fine. Yeah. Um. Well, and it shouldn't the the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court, only hear it if it's a case that affects the constitutionality of something. Well, it it does, doesn't it? I believe so. Yeah. But I'm just saying that is that is the only grounds on which they should be able to hear it, is if it is the constitutionality of something. Right. So we also have the Defense of Marriage Act, which uh, this Bill Clinton did this back in the 90s, 96? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1996. And I, and I guess parts of this have been deemed unconstitutional as well. Um, Section 3 of the law, um, the part of the definition of the federal proposal as a union of a man and a woman was ruled unconstitutional by a federal district court in July 2010, which I guess is the ruling that we're talking about. No, it's a little bit separate from Is it separate? Okay. Yeah, this is the one where Obama came out just a few months ago um, in regards to this case and basically said that they were no longer – he was ordering um, the federal – prosecutors, I guess, um, to no longer go after this part of the law. So they wouldn't defend it anymore. Right. And this has not been taken out, okay. but it's no longer being defended. It's no longer. Now, it's interesting because this is against what Obama had originally said, because he originally said that he was against gay marriage because of his religious principles. Well, you got to actually, before you really say that, you have to figure out exactly which time. Obama, the senator, was pro-gay marriage. Obama, the presidential candidate, certainly turned it on his ass and became all religious and crap. Right. And he now claims that he is his ideas are evolving. There's a new kind of minor movement with uh, this, the phrase evolve already. Yeah. So um, it's, it's yeah. about time. <laughs> right. But so, it, again, it, it depends on, it depends on what particular time you quote him from. He certainly has been really malleable on it, unfortunately. Well, he's also been, I mean, 
uh, gun rights have been the same way with him. You know, Senator Obama was against, uh, you know, against handguns, and President Obama it was neutral on the subject and was going to uphold the Second Amendment. So he's certainly been, um, you know, how do I get elected? Uh, has been kind of the campaign strategy there, I imagine. That's all. But okay. Are we done with this topic? Uh, you know what? If that's what you want, we are done with it. I'm what do you got? How much we still have? You know what? What do you got from the Daily yeah. Mail that we should talk about? What do we want to talk about? I said, what do you have from the Daily Mail that we should talk about now? Let Let's go ahead and talk about about George Reekers. I think it's actually fairly well connected here. It's a good transition. You don't yes. want to. You don't want to talk well, about. Why don't you tell yeah. us who he is and why? Are we, we gonna Are we gonna move the the pout thing to the next podcast? I know. Do, do you well, the, Ian? Do you do you want to talk about uh, women's lips and uh, whether they're I'm likely not, to have an that, orgasm or not? The next podcast. If, okay. Uh, All right. Well, I'd like if, if you want to do some stuff of mine, um, we can hit the Jew Watch thing. I think that'd be a, um, more interesting to talk about for a little bit. Well, actually, now let's do that after. Reaker. Yeah, let, let's do Reeker okay. first. Let's go ahead and let uh, let Mac talk about Reeker. Okay. okay. Essentially, this kind of crossed my radar. Um, my wife sent me the article about his one and only research subject, Craig, who was actually a boy by the name of Kurt, um, committed suicide in, I believe, 2003. And I started looking into this because this is the guy who's kind of made well, his whole his his whole career. George Reeker's kind of invented himself as a as the the guy to see about curing homosexuality with Christianity. Okay, so that's his research because it's a, and his research subject was a, a gentleman that he had supposedly cured of gayness, right? Yeah, uh, he was a five-year-old boy who, um, and in actuality, according to the mom, Reekers was not even not even that much involved. But he made his whole career off this one research subject, who he called he called Craig, but the boy's name was actually Kirk. Okay, and um. He made his whole reputation and his whole career on this one boy who... And what was his reputation? Well, his reputation was that he took this boy and after his therapy, and I'm holding up quotation fingers over here. Okay. After his therapy, the boy had no discernible difference from other boys of his age. And what they were trying to cure was feminine traits, feminine behaviors. So for in, in the laboratory setting... For things such as picking up a doll or dress-up clothes of a, of a female nature, he would be ignored. And for picking up a gun or a, a police stick or a pair of handcuffs or other things that would be considered boys' toys, he would be praised. And essentially from the laboratory setting, he learned not to exhibit feminine behavior in the laboratory. Where this went on to, though, was at home, they went to the poker chip treatment which is he'd get a blue chip for boy behaviors, he'd get a red chip for bad behaviors or female behaviors. And he was rewarded for blue chips, and he was physically beaten for red chips by his father with a belt on wow. bare skin. Um, now, I guess, why why was his boy um, in this therapy in the first place? He was a five-year-old because boy. Because he was exhibiting feminine behaviors. Yeah, but so what? He was a five-year-old boy. Yeah. But his was he had an older brother and younger sister, right? He and had both an older of them, brother and a younger sister, correct? Yeah, and okay. both of them were actually pretty shocked by his parents' actions, not his actions. If, if you actually read some of the stuff they were talking about, his actions didn't bother them. It was his parents, you know, that were shocking right. to them. And they saw a guy on TV who told them how to cure your boy of feminine behavior, 
and yeah. it turned in, it basically hooked him up with this UCLA study. And I believe he was the only subject of this, or at least he was the only one that, well, he was the only one that Reekers wrote, wrote his... Uh, he was a success! Yeah, because he came out to his mother as gay later in his life and then committed suicide at the age of 38. Definitely a success. But he made it 38 and he, he went to college and wasn't he in the armed forces or something? He was in the armed forces. He did a lot of... Yeah. He did a lot of great things when he was in denial because of um, the therapy, and then as soon as um, he realized just how much that therapy screwed him up and that he really was gay and had been living in denial all the time, he killed himself. But it was a success. I'm not going to call that a success. So, and, so the the idea here, he did. the the idea here is that they're identifying gay behaviors or female behaviors. Well, and they, as so, signs of incipient gayness, right? Okay. E- even though there, there's really nothing to back that up in and of itself. Right. And right. it's still going on. I, I added the Dr. Phil thing because that was a big deal. Apparently, Dr. Phil is actually of that almost same mentality. So Dr. Same. Yeah, re- recently, Dr. Phil has come out with advice saying, don't let the kid play with dolls or wear dresses because that's you know going to lead to homosexuality. That, that is contrary to what every other psychologist I have ever heard say. Now, the interesting thing about Reekers himself was that last year he took a trip to Europe and hired a personal assistant from rentboy.com to carry his luggage. And the personal assistant in question said that one of his responsibilities during the trip was to give uh, nude body rubs to Reekers. It was a massage. Reekers liked a thing that he called the long stroke. Yes. <laughs> and Reekers' is a, Reekers is excuse for hiring the rent boy was that he needed somebody to carry his luggage. But when he when he came back from his trip, he the reporters who caught him at the airport snapped shots of him handling his own baggage. <laughs> that was what, what the rent boy was supposed to do, is handle his baggage. Well, I, my theory is that the rent boy probably helped him unload his satchels enough in Europe that uh, they were much less heavy when he got back. Mm, Okay. So they they, they were in the condition where he was kind of just, you know, settling for handling himself after that. Right. Yeah, I think... At that point, it was a small load. Now, now I think part of this is Riker didn't ever consider himself gay because he never had... uh, They never finished... During these massage sessions, isn't that correct? Right. No, no. He he's did, not gay because when he was five, he did not play with dolls. That's why well, he's not gay. Okay, I, but it, uh, to me, it, it seems to take on the shape of a gay man's self-loathing being translated to a ch- uh, child research subject. But it's it's a sad story in any case. More like he's, he imprinted it on him like a duck. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that the research subject, Craig, made Reekers gay? Uh, I'm saying the other the other way around. Ah. Reekers imprinted on him like a duck. Could you be. Know, you know, he, yeah. But I did stick an article in here also about the top ten outed right-wing homophobes. That who, was a fun one. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that article. I thought that was actually pretty doggone entertaining. But there's some very good articles in here about Reekers, and there's, some ex- there's an extremely detailed article called What Are Little Boys Made Of?, which goes into extreme detail about the various different things that Craig was made to undergo and kind of what happened to him because of it and his family's thoughts on it. Yeah, that's the one that has his sister and his brother coming in and talking about what they saw and 
Right. You know, like I said, they're definitely not the ones who are saying, well, we're upset because he was going gay. They were the ones who were saying, we were actually kind of scared because our parents are doing this to our brother. And, the, you know, the older brother was actually setting himself up by taking red chips away from Kyle's, from Kirk's pile yeah. and setting himself up for punishments so that so that his brother he get an easier job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He figured he was already punished enough that he could take it. <laughs> It's it's a sad, sad story. It's it's the, whole, the whole thing is very yeah. sad. Yeah. But ultimately, like what, what it looks like. still advising that kind of mentality. And it's like, okay, so it's still going on. It, it hasn't even come close to being fixed. You know what, though? We, we see this issue. I mean, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Oprah. We, we see a, a, those group, which I group together. We see a lot of these kinds of, of things that just don't make sense and are bad for people. And this is one of them. Dr. Phil's advice is wrong. Dun, dun. Dun. Uh-oh. Coming in and out. So, and this is something we've talked about before. We've, t- we've done the gender bender stuff. You know, we've yeah, about we've, we've talked a lot about The this. princess boy, yeah. Right. Yeah. Hey, listen. You know, My Little Ponies are now are, are now for men. You know, they, 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 they call uh, men who like My Little Ponies bronies. Bronies. <laughs> there we go. You think I'm making this up? I don't think you're making it up. I haven't heard of it before, but I guess I was a brony back in the day. Well, there you go. You know, um, G.I. Joe was essentially a masculinized Barbie doll. They called mm-hmm. him an action soldier, but he's essentially a, a highly jointed Barbie doll when he started out. And he had a hell of a lot of outfits. They weren't as stylish as Barbies, but he had a lot of outfits. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Hey, let's move on and do these. Uh, do these Actually, can myth- I just? Oh can no. I just really quick. Uh, I just wanted to put in my two cents on this yes. guy. Go for it. Um, Absolutely. It, it it just for me. I think I've said it even before on the podcast. I, I think anybody who's got a very very strong anti-gay thing going on is almost always going to wind up in one of these situations. And it's the same kind of thing I think with the whole like people who are opposed to gay marriage, which is why I think these the two articles kind of or the two talks kind of go together is there's just there's not a whole lot of rational reason for people to be this upset about what other people are doing unless it impacts them and if it impacts them in a way where they can't express it because there's too much fear or self-loathing or whatever i think that's where you get these monsters who who do these horrible things to other people in what is clearly some kind of psychological problem within their own minds and, you know, Rikers is just an absolutely perfect example of if this guy did not have this struggle with homosexuality, he would not have based his entire career on this. Although he did make scads of money doing this crap, but that's kind of a little bit separate. But, I mean, it, you know, it, it doesn't seem like it's a very big leap to say this guy did all of this harm because of his own personal demons. And I might not be able to say that 100%. Um, but I think the facts of the case are pretty clear. And I just think it shows that anybody who's got a really strong reaction to this, you have to ask, why do you care so much? And listen to what they really say and what they really do. Because it just seems like almost 100% of the time, if you got a strong feeling, 
you about the subject, you've got a strong secret you're trying to hide. So yeah. I just wanted to throw that in. Well, the other it's a good it's yeah, a good point. It's, is it's it's hitting them where they live. I can think of no way that somebody else being in a gay relationship can harm me at all. I I, I cannot come up with a scenario, and I don't want to make the argument for ignorance here. I'm I'm saying that there isn't one. I'm just saying I can't think of one that that would affect me in any way. Yeah, I haven't heard one either. But that doesn't eventually, you know, with after all the posturing and all of the bullshit that they throw up ahead of it, you know, this guy's got papers, he's got articles, he's got companies that supposedly will help this. In the background of all of this has been a guy who goes out to rentboy.com to hire people. You know, I mean, it seems like there's always that story somewhere behind it. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it's really sick and and sad. So I just I, I would hope that anybody out there who's who's got this much hate going on can kind of get the help they need and, and figure out where to focus it because clearly it's not going to help you to take down other people. It's just what, kind of embarrassing. What apparently will help you is you know renting somebody from a site to get a massage. Well, and yes. I can compare this to proselytization as well. People who you know who who come door to door and are trying to make everybody Christian and try to save them. It's, yep. it's it's the same argument. Why do you care so much about what's going to happen to me if I don't believe? Yes, I know that the Bible says that you're supposed to save me and all of that, but ultimately, what is the root and reason here? Why do you feel the need to invade my personal space and tell me what your opinion of me is? It, it almost seems like they're unsure enough of their own faith that they want to make everybody conform so that there's nobody to question. Well, right, because if everybody believes the same thing, you must be right. Yeah. Yeah. Same kinds of things. All right, Ian. Tell me about our artist liars. Can you hit this real quick? Because this is a holdover from yeah. last week, so I don't want to skip it oh, again. Yeah, that's fine. Um, are we going to finish up with these two then? Yes, we'll finish up with these two. And then save everything else for next week. It's all yep. you, buddy. Okay. Well, <clears throat> as an artist, I actually rather like this article because I agree with it. Um, the concept it, it is the question is: Are artists liars? And this is from moreintelligentlife.com. And the basic concept is going off of a quote from Marlon Brando. Um, apparently he did some um, instructional videos, and they were called Lying for a Living. And in it, he basically talks about how, as an actor, you are being paid to lie. And if you can lie, you can act, is apparently one of the things he said. And the concept is you get up there, you become someone else, and you are effectively deceiving people and being paid for it. As a writer, I kind of, I feel I do about the same thing. One of the things I do is I write fiction, and I agree. There's a level of lie to it. Um, the main thing I liked about this is it talks about lying being a form of art and such, but it also goes into this idea that we as a society don't necessarily want the truth. You know, our entertainment is fiction, and, you know, we create that fiction and to give to the mass and say, hey, listen, enjoy this, and... You know, this idea of truth and everything else is so subjective. And I honestly think that the artists are probably much more aware of how subjective truth is because we go out of our way to say, hey, you know, we'll come up with something we know is completely false and we'll give it to you and you'll love it and you'll get so consumed in it that some people do actually start believing some of this fiction. I remember um, an episode of Pin and Teller. You know, I love the show. Always recommend it. It was called The Good Old Days. They had people who, a group that actually believed the show Leave It to Beaver was really how people lived back then. 
Oh, wow. Right. And they would go out, you know, they'd get together and they'd meet and they'd talk about how great life was back then because it was just like Leave it to Beaver. And so they had the as- actor who played Eddie Haskell come and talk to him and stuff. And he's like, you know, I, I lived during that time and there was not a single family I ever knew like the Cleaver. Right. So but, if artists are liars and, and that's okay, weathermen fall in that category, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> I, at I like, the very I least, like... they're guessers. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed this article too. I mean, I've I've got a little bit of aspiration to being an artist, and and it is kind of fun when you let a you know what you know is a lie kind of just run with itself and see where it goes and and enjoy it and stuff. I've also always thought it a little interesting too that in my experience, this is purely anecdotal, not reported by science, but right. it's the skeptics and the atheists who wind up being the biggest nerds for science fiction and fantasy stuff. I mean, yeah, we absolutely. Just, as a like group, that, seem yeah. to love it. And I, I think there's something there because... And, and 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 conversely, the people who who believe in you know real magic buddies like Jesus and stuff like that tend to not like that stuff. Now, of course, there's there's definitely some people who are in both camps, but I just think it's the skeptics that I've met who really are such complete nerds for it. And I count myself. I think we have a total enjoyment of the suspension of belief. And, you know, allow ourselves to get pulled into these things and enjoy the lie for the entertainment. But no, we're definitely, yeah, there's definitely a level where we want to be deceived. The difference is whether or not we realize we're being deceived while we're doing it and letting ourselves be deceived. And when we actually set ourselves down to the point where, okay, I'm not going to realize I'm being deceived. I'm going to let them completely deceive me and deny the truth, the facts that I am not listening to the truth that I'm being lied to. And, you know, so we as a society do like the deception. But there's a difference between how you can perceive it, and that's where the problems come in. Yeah. Of course, also goes to the next link I have. Literally, literally unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. Yes. Okay. What literally unbelievable is is it's a website dedicated to finding people on Facebook who don't get the fact that they're looking at headlines from the Onion, or they don't get the fact that the Onion is pure tongue in cheek. Yeah. And they, they take the headlines seriously, they take the articles seriously, they read them, and they're like, oh my god, how horrible. And this is stuff like saying, Obama is passing a law that will guarantee that every American has a parrot. <laughs> and these people make comments like, oh my god, look at the, what, how much money he's wasting on such a prospect. Why do we need parrots? And they're like, dude. Well, fortunately. Oh, Mac. Hello, Mac. Yeah. Hey, I'm I, I'm sorry you you cut out on me there. So start I over. I said, yeah, fortunately, I'm fortunately I'm in compliance on that particular law. Well, but did Obama make sure you had the parrot? Or did you have the parrot beforehand? No, but if I get to pick my parrot, I'll, I'll go ahead and pick another one. His parrot was a pre-existing condition. You know, it, it's funny. You know, that there was um, a couple of I think it was a Muslim newspaper who reprinted an Onion article about how the moon landings were faked. Yeah. And they and I, I don't know if it was because of a language barrier or what, but they didn't know that the onion was satire, and they reprinted it as news, and then it was picked up by another newspaper. Yeah, which is absolutely fantastic because yeah. this is the this is the beauty of the onion is their articles are so generally so well written that unless you were actually watching for the subtle clues in there, you could take it seriously. Right. Except you know that it's the onion. <laughs> right. <laughs> But it's, this is definitely one of those things where I was just talking about, you know, you, you, the onion is there to deceive you for humor. And there are people that read it, and they don't need to see it, it's the onion. They read it, and they go, okay, that's definitely a joke. 
Yet there are other people who don't make the connection. They get deceived by the onion, and they honestly don't understand that, no, you're being deceived as a joke. Yeah. It's not serious. It's not true. But they let themselves be deceived, and they go with it, and they're determined it's the truth no matter how absurd it sounds. And so this site is even better because it's showing how these people have let themselves be deceived and thereby made the article even better. <laughs> oh, yeah. There, you know, some uh, of these people in here, I don't think they believe it. Because one of them, like uh, this one, uh, said that this is actually kind of true. I'm not convinced that this person actually thought this article was no. true. No, that one, that one definitely he was saying. He yeah. was commenting that it is kind of true. Yeah. You know, I, I'm reminded about when, uh, you remember the... Uh, the mockumentary, This is Spinal Tap. I, I've heard a lot about it, but I've never seen it. Okay. <gasps> what? Right. Uh-oh. <laughs> You're going to have to borrow it oh, from me. Man. But um, when the three actors who formed Spinal Tap reunited, they got all kinds of indications that people had been waiting for the group to reunite for years and had been having trouble finding their albums. Right. And uh, Michael McKeon, who played the lead singer in there, uh, and his most famous role would be as Lenny from Laverne and Shirley, but he's a very talented actor and has done a lot since then. He's just That's just the most recognizable thing. Michael McKeon said, you know, this is a perfect example of when the left goes so far left that it becomes the right. Sure. I thought that was the returns. <laughs> Uh, you you absolutely have to see Spinal Tap I, I for the next podcast. Uh, okay, I will. I'll borrow it from Mac. I'll loan it. it to you. Okay. All right. So we're, we've already gone long, and I might have to. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do this podcast. So You'd I, have I don't, to edit out the whole part where you were gone. Yeah. Well, right. Well, that I stopped. It's uh, it's not a problem. I you know you have that in your recording, but um, I, I want to go ahead and uh, uh, this is Ian's other article, and we referred to it several times. So let's go ahead and do it. The shape of a woman's pout may mean better sex. You do know he's off again, right? Oh, he's gone again. <laughs> Man. Right, woman's pout next episode. Woman's pout next episode. Well, that's right. Coming up on the next episode of the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, we talk about a bullshit article about a woman's pout and how they may be, make them better able to have an orgasm. So before you marry, look at the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> There's no way I'm going to be able to wait two weeks to talk about this. You want to talk about it now? No, no. Okay, okay. okay I was going to say, wow, yeah. Right. It's so exciting. It's that thrilling. All right. It then. was pure science in its its absolute form, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, it's, so that's why I said, you know, yeah, he didn't get it from the Daily Mail, but, you know, he sure, he still found the same quality of article. <laughs> yep. Hey, I, as far as I'm concerned, Ian is completely exonerated by showing me this this site with the people who literally unbelievable. Okay, yeah, I found that extremely enjoyable. So I love good. the uh, I love the article about the bar patrons by the dismayed by the site of band setting up <laughs> because the guys the guys spelling in his response yeah that was weird is almost uniformly incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, wait, let me ask you that, uh, Kim, if you're going to exonerate him for, for showing you that, that, that doesn't mean that I have to stop giving him shit about it, though, does it? No, well, no, no. no. Oh, okay. Whew. I'm just giving a, Ian a, a thumbs uh, up good guy award <laughs> for the week. Oh, okay. Right. Well, I, I would never deny him that. <laughs> because it and always makes... You know, on that note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Let, let's get out of here. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. everybody. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. 
For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to myspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, no derivatives, 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 